0: Welcome to Living the Present Moment with Dr. Joel Ying. Today is June 12th, 2019. On this podcast series, I interview people of passion and purpose doing interesting things living the present moment. Again, I'm your host, Dr. Joel Ying. I'm a physician, educator, storyteller. You can find me online, visit my blog, courses, calendar at livingthepresentmoment.com. That's livingthepresentmoment.com. I'm excited about today's interview. The topic is plant medicine, ayahuasca church. And my guest today is Ryan Cornett. Now Ryan's a nationally certified personal trainer and holds a bachelor's of science in public health nutrition, currently in his master's program in clinical nutrition and functional medicine. He's a certified nutritionist and went into this field because of his own uh, health struggles and studies nutrition, fitness, health psychology, personal empowerment, among many other things. I met Ryan recently at a workshop, and I was intrigued by his uh, passion for nutrition. And then he mentioned these keywords, ayahuasca church, in my ears. Was, What's that? And we had this really interesting conversation, so I wanted to invite him to talk about plant medicine in general and ayahuasca in
1: particular.
2: Hey, Joel, doing great. It's good to be here with you. We had some good conversations when we originally met, so it's, it's nice to reconnect with you.
0: Yeah, there was a surprise on your bio that I was intrigued by. I, you talk about lots of different healing modalities, and I'm a storytelling performer, and I think of that as a healing modality as well, and I saw that you're a spoken word performer. I was yes. curious how that came into your set of
1: skills.
2: Yeah, I think that for me, the first, the first thing that really connected with me growing up my entire life was actually music. I was, I became very passionate about listening to music, playing music, and music was always like a a way to express myself authentically. And so Mm -hmm. I started writing and then Originally I would call my writing poetry but it, it didn't have that soft side to it if you will it had a little bit more uh, vigor and zest to it so I found out about spoken word and I think my writing style started to evolve to be more of a, a spoken word it has a cadence and a in a similar format that it follows in like a poetic prose but it's a little bit more uh, energized if you will so it's got a rhyming style it's it's what i believe the original hip-hop music used to be and that's rhythm and poetry rap music and so i mm. combine rhythm with poetry and i talk about the topics that i'm passionate about which are topics i'm sure we'll discuss today
0: how did you get to nutrition as one of your passions you know i think
2: it just started originally by me being a curious young guy and I I turned to Netflix at a younger age when that first came about and I heard people say, Oh, don't watch food inc. You'll be you'll become vegan or vegetarian overnight if you watch it. And I was like, No way, I don't believe it. So I sat down and I watched every kind of conspiracy documentary in the arena of food. That led me towards a pathway of reading every book I could get my hands on and watching YouTube videos. And I I basically went to an organic diet that the day after watching those documentaries and it just radically changed my life, my energy, my mood, my predisposition, my outlook on life. And I fell in love with the ability to fortify my body with whole foods. And I felt so good that I wanted to tell the world about it. I wanted to tell everyone like, "Hey, we all have access to this energy source, this abundance of health, and it comes from these organic whole foods so that was that was my introduction to kind of health and wellness, and I have not turned back
0: since mm. awesome what's uh, I'm curious from you know the people you've met and talked to what's the number one myth that you find about nutrition
2: first thing that comes to mind is that
0: uh, there's a one
2: size fits all diet for everyone it's every single day what I do for work and in my my master's program as well. We do a lot of dispelling these myths and me i 'll speak from my personal experience i've kind of fallen into the camp of this diet is right for everyone, or this supplement is right for everyone. And that diet and that supplement might be great for some people in some circumstances. However, it's a little bit infantile to say that there's a one size fits all diet for everyone. Are there overarching themes that we see that, um, prolong life and add to a healthy lifestyle? Absolutely. Whole foods, adequate fiber, lots of fruits and vegetables, more of a Mediterranean style diet. Absolutely. We can see that with clear consensus. As far as getting into one of the camps, I think it can be a little bit dangerous. I, I was one of those people, for example, that I got into the vegan camp and I basically pushed myself to be vegan for a decade, for 10 years, until I started to develop chronic, uh, di- I hate to use the term, but diseases and autoimmune disorders. And I started working with a number of functional medicine doctors. And it came to the point where they said, I think we need to reintroduce some animal-based products into your diet. And for me, it was just, a—I not I didn't want to do it. And at the, at the defense of my own health, I was not willing to consume animal products until I got to a place where <laughs> I was about to die and I had to start consuming animal products again. And it was, it was really sad that my body was telling me that it needed DHA and, and protein and amino acid profiles and, and, and a host of of these nutrients that are derived from animal sources. And yet I was unwilling to consume those because I had a philosophy that didn't align with what my body was actually telling me. And so Mm. in my practice now, what I recommend to people is, Hey, listen, if you eat a vegan diet and your body's happy and healthy and loves it, keep doing that. That's fine. But also if you come to a place where your body says, Hey, I would love a piece of wild caught salmon or a nice, local pasture-raised organic egg that's from a free-range farm, don't don't hate yourself or don't deprive yourself of that nutrient when your own intuition is telling your body that you need this nutrient. And so I guess that'd be the number one myth I would like to dispel. Joel, is just not to live someone else's truth. To find the truth that works with you. Yeah, bounce through a bunch of diets, try some different supplements. And at the end of the day, Take a pen and a paper and write down, hey, this is working for me. This isn't working for me. This is working for me. And create your own approach, starting with whole foods and organic foods. Start your own approach that works for you, not for someone else,
1: but for you. Hmm. Oh, that's
0: great advice. The one size fits all tends to, tends to predominate. It does. I also think about a, a lot of those A lot of those diets, um, when I think of diets, there are different reasons to be on diets. And I think uh, when you're focused on health and wellness and really monitoring how you're feeling on a particular diet, that's the best way to make changes. I know a lot of people do have various reasons to adopt diets. One is, uh, you know, the load on the planet, the... uh, um, Animal cruelty or other things like that, and I
1: think those are all
0: you know uh it, it's it's I think it's important to realize that there's different reasons to do different diets
1: and uh make
0: health one of them um as well you yeah.
2: so you're right food is it's multifaceted because it's not just health there are further implications there on like you said animal well- welfare and ecology complex, it's really complicated, you know, food is uh, the food yeah. system. It's, uh, it's a very yeah. complicated system. So yeah, it's one of those things I'm trying to navigate as well to really find what works for my body, but also what works for this planet and for the next seven generations as well. I want to find a way of being in this world with the energy substrates that I use to where they're healthy for me to be able to conduct myself to my fullest capacity and they are harmonious with the ecology of the planet. So it's it's a dense topic. It is.
0: Yeah. And not just that, there's all the emotional attachments to food. And I you know, I when I go to a place and I know that someone has made this food with love, I feel compelled to like enjoy it with them because mm-hmm. it's part of the experience. It's a, it's also a social thing we do. So absolutely multifaceted absolutely. things
2: hey yeah, i want to say a quote real quick That's funny i believe there's a proverb that says something to the extent of it's better to eat bad food with good company than
1: good food with bad company mm. <laughs> I, like I really that. like that i really like that oh gosh when you can
0: have both good food with good company it's even better oh there
1: you go <laughs> Exactly
0: exactly yeah i think about a potluck that i went to and someone came by with vegan uh cookies uh, and i was i
1: was like
0: wow wow how did you do that and then she told me what was in the cookies and i realized that okay crisco shortening um all right <laughs> <laughs> you can find a way to be unhealthy on any diet exactly
1: you're you're towards things so Absolutely,
0: no oh, goodness, well, how did you go from uh i guess diet to nutrition to the the idea of plant medicine? like how would you define plant medicine? Yeah, so
2: it's interesting that you just teed the question up in that way because it it actually it actually brought something together I've never really saw until you just said it in that context when I fell in love with food. I started to recognize that food was medicine, just like Hippocrates said, let food be thy medicine. Mm -hmm. And then I also recognized that there was foods that were so powerful medicinally that they could actually alter my, my energy levels, my, my capacity to focus, my attentiveness. Uh, They could redirect my digestive capacity Uh, They could stimulate me or they could sedate me. And these are herbs. And so from nutrition, I felt really drawn to herbs because these were foods that were so powerful that they became medicine at a very low dose. And so I naturally started to incorporate some of those superfoods and herbs into my diet because I I could feel a visceral change, uh, somatic change from consuming these herbs and these plants. And then I think once you get into that arena of herbalism, there's some herbs, if you will, that kind of skew the lines of what we would call psychoactive or mind altering. And, you know, it's interesting. So to what most people, when they talk about plant medicine, that those two words right there together plant medicine they're mostly talking about powerful psychoactive compounds and plant derivatives so that would be stuff like ayahuasca psilocybin even lsd perhaps um, peyote mescaline containing mushrooms and so most people would categorize that uh, under plant medicine what's interesting to me working in the field of nutrition and herbalism, is that there's herbs that we consume every single day that I would say actually fit more under this blanket of plant medicine. However, we just don't coin this specific herb as being a plant medicine. Let me give you an example. There is something that is consumed. In fact, I have a psychoactive substance in front of me right now, and I'm at my office. This psychoactive substance is called caffeine.
1: Hmm. And
2: most of us are very familiar with this this plant. Caffeine is extremely psychoactive. If you don't think that's the case, find somebody that does not drink caffeine at all, take them to Starbucks, and ask for something called a quad shot. Let that person consume that quad shot and then ask them to drive you somewhere on the interstate. And tell me if you think that substance is psychoactive you will quickly realize that caffeine is a very powerful mind-altering substance. So is nicotine. And so when we talk about plant medicine, it's interesting because it almost is put in this box that has a uh, innuendo or cloud above it where people think it's this this no-no area or this, this don't speak of area, unless the, the doors close and locked. But I don't think that's hmm. the case. I think that we have mind-altering substance like sugar that we consume every single day. It's just that there's more powerful mind-altering substances that we put into this plant medicine category. Does that make sense, Joel?
0: Oh, yeah. I, you know, it's funny. There the things that I eat regularly that, that uh it suddenly dawned on me how they're affecting me
1: and uh um uh, it, it it's funny um when when you don't really
0: have time to think about what you're eating and then you step back and go what did i eat today oh that's why i feel like that um it is really interesting how anything all food is medicine anything you intake and so I like your wider view of plant medicine. Actually, that's what I was thinking of as just herbals. So it's kind of neat that uh, that's how you think of plant medicine as well.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. So, as far as kind of the more generic terminology, plant medicine, right now uh, on a lot of podcasts and whether it be the Joe Rogan podcast or, you know, Pim Ferris or some of these top podcasters in the world, we're hearing a lot about people going down to Peru or South America and going to these ceremonies where they're doing plant medicine. And, you know, some people are having wonderful outcomes. Some people are having scary outcomes. And so in general, when you hear people talk about plant medicine, they're usually referring to ayahuasca psilocybin, um, some of the derivatives of peyote and San Pedro cactus that have mescaline. And it's interesting because in Silicon Valley, there's actually a little bit of a movement um, under culture right now uh, called microdosing. And there's some Silicon tech experts that are using these psychoactive plant medicine at very, very low doses. So it wouldn't change personality or give you a visual per se, but it's a sub-perceptive level. So they take these psilocybin magic mushrooms and instead of taking a three gram dose, they're taking 0.1 gram and they're taking that on a Monday, a Wednesday, and a Friday, and then they take a week off. And what this does is This is such a powerful herb, if you will, that it can actually have, it actually can change the way that the pathways are working in the brain. And you're giving such a low dose that you're actually having beneficial effects without the more sedating effects, if you will. So you don't have to, you know, take a 10 hour break from your day to go on a journey instead, it's almost like a nootropic, which means like a brain food. And you get this more like undertone of focus, attention, creativity, spontaneity, a little bit uplift in in mood, perhaps. And so some people are entering the space of plant medicine by microdosing, actually. And I think that's a a safer way to get into this arena than to kind of Do what some people would call the heroic dose, and that's just to throw something back that a friend gives you, and cross your fingers and say, "I hope this turns out good." I wouldn't
0: recommend that.
1: (laughs) Mm. Hmm. Yeah,
0: I. uh, I I think you're right. When you think of plant medicine, you do think of the psychoactive, mind-altering medicines. But the other thing that I think of that I think is misunderstood is that these plant medicines come out of traditions. Where there is ceremony and ritual around them, and i i uh, that's that's one of the reasons I was also fascinated by the uh, mention of ayahuasca church when we spoke uh, because um these uh, these plant medicines were uh, were things that were understood by the shaman in those cultures who you know, we knew how to use them safely, and had. Um, I, I guess when you think of a, a shaman taking you on a journey with a medication, safely administering it versus uh, go out and take a hit of a drug and the drug culture here, they're very, they're two very different. Two very different like mental attitudes of of what is a drug and how you use a drug and how you respect a drug. So I I I think the safety of ceremony is something that is uh, you know very important. Just like a, a doctor will administer medications safely. You know, we, we, we use many medications that are also designer street drugs, but we use them at different doses. Uh, often you're supervised. Um, and then we use other drugs that are you know, just for other uses, but can be lethal in the wrong dose. Absolutely.
2: Really well said. What, what, what I heard there also is that you need someone that is a professional in this arena to be administering medicine. I completely agree, whether that be a pharmaceutical or whether that be a substance from the Amazon jungle. I think you're absolutely right that you need a purveyor. You need a, someone that is familiar with the doses, the the effects, the body weight of the person that's consuming this, the predispositions this person has. And it's, you know, Joel, it's really similar to going to see a doctor this is not something where you just show up and then you say, give me something, and they just open a cabinet and hand it to you with, with plant medicine. That's not how it works in the world of plant medicine, and that's not how it works with a doctor either. The, the similar theme with both of those is that someone interviews you, if you will, prior to you ever consuming a medication and asks you, what are you seeking? What are you looking for? What is the mm. symptom that's manifesting in you that you're trying to address? And a good doctor, just like a good shaman, a real shaman, sometimes they'll listen to your symptoms and tell you, that I don't have the medication you're seeking or what you're seeking is, you, I'm not going to administer one of my medications for what you're seeking to that right now or handle or address. And that's what a good shaman will do. If you go to one of these shamans and say, yeah, I want to do ayahuasca. Well, a good shaman has the capacity to speak with you, look at your predisposition, look at body, uh, almost like an Ayurvedic, uh, Ayurvedic practice, practitioner would. They can actually look at your body and see, oh, look, I see that there's you know, a white film on their tongue. I see that they're favoring this side of their body. I can tell that Uh, They have toxicity in their skin and they have rashes. Maybe that's showing the liver, uh, liver toxicity. And these good shamans have the capacity to look at you and see that, you know what, maybe this medicine isn't right for this person at this time. Maybe instead of me giving this person a powerful antibiotic or a powerful dose of ayahuasca, maybe they need to start with meditation and cleaning up their diet before they ever come to this world of plant medicine because to me, meditation and nutrition and herbalism are lower doses of medication. And not everyone needs the full dose of medication when they come in. There's something called a minimal effective dose. If someone can get a result with a probiotic, that's only 1 billion uh, CFU, 1 billion bacteria cells, There's no point of giving them a 500 billion uh, bacteria count on a probiotic. That's overkill and it could be dangerous. And I think the same is true in these arenas of any form of medication or mind altering substance. You may only need a very minimal effective dose or you might not even need that specific dose at all. And that's why it's so important to find the right doctor like a holistic doctor perhaps, someone like Joel. And that's why it's important to find the appropriate conduit for these medicines, which is often called a shaman. And, you know, that opens a, a even bigger door there as well in that the question there is how do you know whether this person that is claiming to be a shaman has the proficiency for me to give me the recommendation that I'm seeking. And that's very important to be able to do that diligent searching to make sure that the person that you're going to that calls themselves shaman or doctor, they have the proficiency experience and often the cultural precedence to know how to use this medication effectively. It's very, very important.
0: You know, at this point, I I was realizing that we're using the word shaman, and I I want to stress that the shaman or the wise person in the tribe or whatever you want to describe him as, this uh, plant medicine is just one of the things that they the shaman might uh, do. You know, one of the, one of the areas of expertise. So we're we're sort of honing in on one aspect of of the shaman at the moment.
1: Absolutely.
2: Absolutely. And you know what's interesting is one of the first books I read in this arena is a book called The Teachings of Don Juan. And this is by Carlos Castaneda. And this is based on a true story of a gentleman named Carlos Castaneda who was a Harvard botanist. And he ended up going down to Mexico to study a cactus. And he met a man that called himself a Nagual. And the Nagual in the Aztec tradition means one who sees or enlighten one, if you will. And so it turns out he was a medicine man and he knew how to work with these cactus medicines. And so he would be called a uh, uh, ayahuasquero, but he didn't work with ayahuasca. So he'd be like a um, um, mesquilero, uh, he basically worked with Mesquite. He worked with Cactus. He was a wise ancient elder that knew how to work specifically with this plant. And mm-hmm. what I learned from reading those books is that the people that have this history of working with the plant, it's not just, it's generally not just, you know, 20 or 30 years. These are cultures who stem back literally thousands of years. There's there's archaeological and anthropological evidence to show that these plant medicines, these psychoactive ingredients, were used by cultures for thousands of years. And so I met a gentleman at an ayahuasca church in Orlando. It's called SoulQuest. I met the the shaman there. And this shaman goes by the name Taita, T-A-I-T-A. And so I always thought that was his name. And then I started to talk to him in, in the limited Spanish I have, and, and we started to develop a friendship. And I asked him about, I said, oh, your name's Taita. And he described to me that Taita is actually a title. Taita is a title that denotes the same thing as the Nagual did in the Aztec culture. It means one who sees. And so... He is from a place called Punta Maya, Colombia. This is it, very, very, very far into the Amazon jungle. And he lived with an, he grew up in an uncontacted tribe. And his parents and his great grandparents, and his grandparents, his great grandparents, and every generation before that, they were purveyors of the medicine called ayahuasca. And in each processive generation they would choose a a man from that next generation of children that would be the ayahuas gero that would carry the family's legacy of the teachings that have been passed down for thousands of years through the amazon lineage in this area of contamaya colombia and so when this gentleman when he took on this apprenticeship he started taking this medicine and working with it at a very young age and took it hundreds and thousands of times to the point where he knew how to work with this medicine so effectively that he could take the most minimal dose and know how to use this medicine to go into those altered places or those more perceptive arenas and when he developed that skill set he dropped his his given name and he was given the title of Taita. And now when people that speak his language uh, from Punta Maya, Colombia, I believe it's Quechua, his original language, when they hear Taita, they literally will say, it, they almost get brought back a little bit. And they say, you know a Taita? And I will say, yeah, I met Taita, Taita Pedro. And they're like, oh, taita Pedro de Villa. I that I know his lineage, I know his family, I know the I know the tribe that he grew up in. that is how deep these roots run with plant medicine, and so that's what I recommended people when is if you are truly seeking out to go into a mind altered arena, you want to seek out someone that's that knows this medicine, has used it hundreds of times that is familiar with it who's heritage has carried the tradition and the proper administration of how to use this powerful plant for thousands of years. And so mm. I think people need to be much more diligent about when they fly down to Peru or when they go over to you know California and they hear someone that uh, self-proclaimed shaman. And I think they should do a little more diligent research to say, where where did you invoke that title from? How did you come to be a shaman? And what lineage have you studied from? Because I genuinely think these medicines are so, they're so powerful that we should not be entrusting people that aren't very, very confident and comfortable with how to navigate the space that these plant medicines can take us to.
1: Mm. I was
0: curious about uh, ayahuasca in particular, since you're talking about that now. Why do you think it's become so popular in sort of the lay public? It's like a common word now. Um, yeah. Like what 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 is it about that plant and that experience that you think attracts people?
1: Wow.
2: I'll give you my personal answer, and this is not based on anything that I've read. You know, when you go to a a real ayahuasca ceremony, there's just that. There's a ceremony, Joel. And when you're in in that atmosphere of intention, of intentionality, it is different. It is completely different where the, the clothes that people wear have an intention behind them. The necklace that someone wears has an intention behind it. The the way the direction that you walk around the fire has an intention around it. That's ceremony. And I think that it's something that's lost in our modern culture. So are these plants powerful? Absolutely. But so is our mind and so is our intention. And our capacity to focus on an objective or a goal that we're seeking to receive an answer for. And when people go into these, me- these medicine ceremonies, often they, they do a diet for two weeks before, minimum. And that includes a no sexual intercourse. It includes a very restricted diet. It includes um, abstaining from anything that's overstimulating, sometimes removing coffee, tobacco, alcohol. And, you know, Joel, honestly, I think a lot of these benefits that are being derived from people are actually the preparation and the ceremony aspect of this entire journey. That's not to Mm. say that the plant itself isn't powerful at all. All I'm trying to do here is just to make people aware you don't have to always go to this rip you out of your body, mind-altering state to receive this healing, to receive this, this divine message, to receive clarity in a problem that you're having difficulties with right now. I think for many people, doing a simple clean diet, a meditation practice And then setting an intention and really going to a space with just a pen and a paper and really asking your heart, what's best for me on my journey right now? Like, what is best for me? And setting that intention and listening for answers, I think a lot of benefits can be derived from that. So I think one of the reasons why plant medicines and especially ayahuasca is it has such a grip on kind of like our new age and spiritual community right now is because it's bringing back to our human nature something that was lost that is a a very very primal component of who we are as a species and that's community that's intention that's sitting around a fire without distraction and sharing the spoken word that is putting our bare feet back on the earth it's putting natural waters and substances into our body and really removing the distractions of technology and to-do lists and stimulation and television and getting back to something that we as a species have been doing since the advent of us as a erect um bipedal organism and I would love to, I would love to be able to bring that element back into our community and plant medicine. So, so yeah, Mm -hmm. you can see that I'm very in love with the actual ceremony of, of ayahuasca and the medicines. And it makes me think of the native American culture too, of the sweat lodge, the sweat lodge. Wow. That was a mind altering substance. That was a psychedelic experience that the Native Americans did with no no peyote and no masculine. I'm talking about they went in there, they would fast, they would go in there and they would expose their bodies to heat. They would have intentions when they went in there, they would purify, and then they would receive deep, profound answers and cleansing and clarity in their purpose and their mission in life. That's a psychoactive substance and experience and ceremony. And so I guess, Joel, what I'm trying to convey here is that ayahuasca is very powerful and I generally don't recommend it to people, especially off the bat. Absolutely not. What I recommend is some of those steps towards ceremony of getting quiet in your life, of getting time alone, of removing those subconscious thoughts, of cleansing the body, cleansing the mind, cleansing the spirit, cleansing the intention And in being free of distraction, just going camping for a weekend without technology, that can really bring you to some healing places that are similar to where these mind-altering substances can bring you. So that's that's my introduction, Joel.
0: No, that's a great answer. I mean, what I get from that is that uh, in this world of, the, the day-to-day mundane kind of everyday world that one of the things we're starving for is a uh, spiritual experience and spiritual connection, which mm. I think comes from, comes just as powerfully from being community comes from being, you know, connected, anything that makes you feel connected to community, to the planet, to uh, the world. And, and that, Place of being starved from that calls people to to anything that will give you this quick answer to to uh, fill that you know that hunger. So um, I like that you widen the perspective on what on the things that can feed that need for a spiritual connection.
1: Absolutely, Um, absolutely. And so how, um yeah, I'm curious how the
0: ayahuasca uh how an ayahuasca church is you know how those two words come together, like what that means. That, that I was intrigued when you told me that you joined the church, and for much for most of the time, you hadn't even uh done the ayahuasca it was really for the community uh and Gosh. I was just
1: curious what what do those two words mean together?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. So, you know, ayahuasca is a, it is a sanctioned um, substance uh, with the DEA. And so when you hear ayahuasca church, the, the use, using the title church, it preempts some organizations to have a sacrimonial substance in Uh, in their vicinity under some laws that are protected by Native American rights. And so the Native Americans were able to protect some of their ceremonial plants uh, by becoming churches. And so the ayahuasca church that I, uh, I worked at, they were able to do the same thing and be granted immunity by becoming a church. And so I wouldn't say it's a church in the way that you... Think of the word church it's more so of a ceremonial place it's somewhere that you go for ceremony and for an intention of healing and they also offer ayahuasca there as a plant sacrament and so so yeah i i had experienced ceremony in hawaii when i lived in hawaii and i had a very very beautiful experience with some uh ayahuasca in an a beautiful woman from from the amazon there and when i came back to Florida where I'm originally from i got in contact with with a ayahuasca church and so i went i went there initially to uh, volunteer i had no intention of drinking the medicine it was actually just being able to be part of a culture that was predicated on healing and helping and being of social and spiritual support for people for talking people talking with people prior to their journeys and after their journeys and just being part of a community that really had a high precedence on spiritual growth and so that's what drew me to that community in in Orlando and yeah, it was a, a very beautiful experience, Joel. Like I said, I I had no intention of seeking out the medicine itself. I more so wanted to be around the ceremony. I wanted to be around the fire and the intention and the peace and quiet and the playing of traditional instruments and
1: you know, yeah. sleeping
2: under the stars at night on a cool night and next to a fireplace and having conversation about what my life's purpose is with another another passionate individual and so that's what i found there and they also offer the plant medicine and they do a very good job at setting the the atmosphere that's appropriate for that because when you go into that place of being susceptible spiritually or psychologically uh, by consuming a substance that can open a fissure in your your psyche, your, your actual mind and the way you perceive the world, it's, it's not the safest thing to do to navigate that space without some professionals. And at this church that I, I worked with, they had a lot of well-credentialed professionals, doctors, psychologists, medically trained uh, professionals, and they also had taita there as well who ha, who provided this medicine from the Punta Maya colombia jungle in the traditional context and so they were heavily predicated on something called integration which to me is maybe the most important part of a medicine ceremony and integration is after the ceremony it's mandatory the next morning that everyone sit down with a clinically trained psychologist and talk about their experience It's weird and and unique and hard to explain it may be they speak through that with someone that has heard it before that's willing to help them navigate it that can help help them on um to help them get rid of some of the nebulous feelings around these wild experiences they just had. And what this integration does is it helps people bring this profound experience back to a normal three-dimensional world where you have to go to a job from nine to five. And so you don't leave the ceremony saying, oh my gosh, what am I going to do with my life? What is reality? How do I, how do I go back to my nine to five job? How, how am I going to conduct myself in the world again? That can be really scary. So what integration does and what a really good ceremony and staff can do is they can sit down with you and actually talk about the experience you have and how to integrate that experience back into your standard life
1: in a way that can be beneficial therapeutic and healing to you moving forward. Hmm. Well, that's great. that integration piece bringing the bringing the spiritual back into the day to day yeah I know a lot of uh, spiritual traditions the, the spiritual part is not the going off to get that spiritual truth the spiritual piece is
0: manifesting that
1: in your life Pretty 3 here um,
0: that's, that's great intention how that ceremony um
1: brings that experience into someone's life and really integrates it and absolutely
0: i, I was curious how they define the word sacrament
1: uh, in that, the setting
0: of a church then um with uh, ayahuasca as a sacrament or any plant medicine, I suppose?
2: Yeah, so that gets into the depths of the paperwork. As far as I'm aware, and this this is just my limited knowledge in this arena, I believe that to have a sacrament, there's a process of actually applying to the DEA to come and audit the facility and there's there's standards that have to be set into place and then once you are once you meet those standards and those immunities and those religious rights then there is a list of sacraments that are protected under the native american rights and that's as far as i know i i the
0: laws could and i i didn't mean I didn't mean just the legal aspect of it, I meant, as far as oh you, you treat it as a sacrament like what what do you mean by that
1: yeah i I like that you're asking that
0: it's it
2: goes back to intention, Joel, it so much comes back to intention um, I'll give you an example if you drink seven cups of coffee a day, I would argue that the Fifth cup of coffee isn't as enjoyable as it would be as if you only had drinking one cup of coffee a day. So it's almost like a desensitizing. And I think this is true with sugar as well. If you consume sugar all day long, these sweet substances tend to taste less sweet. But if you go on a very low sugar diet and then you eat a really ripe banana, that ripe banana is very sweet and you become sensitized to the, the actuality of that sweetness. And so in that similar context, this sacrament is almost like the intention you bring to it. It's, it's, it's a powerful mind-altering mm-hmm. substance. That's there. there. There's chemistry there that'll, that'll show you how it works on the, the, the neuro, neurological
1: systems within your your mm-hmm. body yeah as far I'm, I'm... As the words uh,
2: yeah, as far as the word sacrament, I think it's a lot about the intention that you're setting with why am I choosing to ingest this substance that is going to put me into an altered place? How do I want to use this time of uncommon experience to draw an answer or to heal from something or to to grow individually i think that the term sacrament is literally uh it's synonymous with intention in the way that i use it and that it's how am i using this substance what's my intention with this substance what do i wish to accomplish with ingesting
0: this substance i think that's how i use the word sacrament Hmm. Yeah, and it, it, as you spoke, I realized that it sort of contains the answer in the root of the word sacred. So it's, it's something that you're mm. considering sacred with your intention and bringing it into ceremony and respecting this sacred, uh, plant. So it's, it's really a sort of the attitude you hold towards it. Uh, Absolutely. as, as with any sacrament that you
1: minister or, or have. Fascinating. Absolutely. It's been a fascinating topic, the delving into plant
0: medicine and uh, ayahuasca in particular and ayahuasca church. And I, I was curious if there's anything else that you think the lay person who just hears the, you know, the word ayahuasca or hears the word plant medicine, like what, what are some other common myths maybe that, uh, feel should be dispelled or talked about or at least discussed
1: you know
2: I think that in the new age community and the spiritual community which I'm I'm involved with so I'm not I'm not saying those people over there I'm saying the community that I I walk with um very often I think that we sometimes put these substances on a pedestal and we almost act as though they will heal all the problems if you go uh, like i need to go do a ceremony or oh i really need ayahuasca i'm having this problem again and i think that can actually be dangerous i think it can be dangerous to seek out such a powerful substance as the only way to attend to some of the issues that we're dealing with in our lives and just like we spoke about the minimal effective dose, I don't think you always need to go on triple full power antibiotic, kill the entire immune system when you just have a little sniffle and a cold. And in the world of plant medicine, I think it's, it's similar that instead of us putting them on a pedestal and saying they're the only way, I think they're just one of the medications that are out there. I think that Prayer can be a meditation, uh, or can be a medication. I think that meditation can be a medication. I think that fasting can be a, me- a medication. I think that cl- cleansing the diet of preservatives and in you know simple sugars that are that kind of augment the biology of your body. I think that can be a medication. And so I guess what I'm trying to say here, Joel, is that there's other ways to reach those states of clarity and healing and answers. And I would recommend that people start with a minimal effective dose first and try all of the minimal
1: effective doses
2: thoroughly before they go seek out the most powerful substance that we can find. I think that you'll learn that the subtle medications that you apply in your life, they stick a little bit more and they grow roots and legs a little bit quicker than they would if you were to go into a plant medicine ceremony. I'm not saying that plant medicine can not have profound healing and beautiful experience for people because they definitely can. What I am saying is really put that foundation under yourself Before you go to that ceremony, before you open yourself spiritually, psychologically, physically, before you open that fissure in your brain and your psychology, really put the foundation in there that's strong and confident and comfortable
1: and knowing that,
2: hey, I've done the groundwork here. I'm ready to go explore something that's very powerful because I've laid such a strong,
1: concrete foundation first. Hmm. I like that, really. Just, I think of it as technology,
0: putting the technology in its place and uh, using it as something empowering
1: rather than disempowering. It's it's, uh, uh, something to build your psyche. Absolutely. Well, I want to thank you for, you know, a really
0: profound, fascinating conversation. We started this talk on food and I think you've left lots of food for thought, so to speak. (laughs) Um, And I want to thank my guest today again, Ryan Cornett. Really, thank you for being on the call. It's really, really enlightening. Absolutely, Joe. I
2: appreciate
0: you having me. You can uh, reach him online and find more information about him at www.dietorliveit.com. I'll spell it wwwd And again, thank you to everyone out there listening online to people of passion and purpose, doing interesting things, living the present moment. I'm Dr. Joel Yang, and stay tuned for more from
1: livingthepresentmoment.com.